0: You know, January kind of gets a bad rap. It's the coldest month of the year. It has Long been considered the most depressing month of the year. People who struggle with depression seem to struggle more in January than any other month. Coming off of Christmas, bills coming in, the days are short, the weather's not very good. and So January kind of gets a bad rap. In fact, I was reading that Gallup Research Organization conducted a survey and they interviewed a thousand Americans to try to determine what was their favorite month of the year. May came in first place, October came in a very close second, and January and February tied for the last, least favorite month in the whole year. And so here we are in what studies tell us is the most unpopular time of the year, and yet for those of us who are Christians, January is so very important. When we get into the month of January, we can look to the year ahead and we can think, now God, what do you have planned for me this year? And what steps could I take in January that would put me in position to experience all that you have for me to experience in the year ahead? Interestingly enough, the English word January comes from a Roman mythological god. And I think we have a a picture of this god. What makes this Roman god so interesting is he's a two-faced god. He's named Janus, and with one of his faces he's looking back, and with the other face he's looking out into the future. And so January takes its name from that Roman god false god, of course, a mythological god, but the idea is that each year in January, we look back over the previous year, what has happened, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then we look forward to the year ahead, and we say, God, I pray this new year will be a better year. I pray that in the the year ahead, I'll experience more of your goodness and more of your blessings and that I'll be a a better Christian in my own life as well. And so that's kind of where we are in January. And I don't know how it is with you, but each year when I get into January, I kind of ask myself this question, what are some spiritual seeds that I could plant in January that will hopefully grow and produce a good harvest for me in February, March, April, May, all the way through October, November, December. In other words, what can I put in the ground spiritually speaking now? That the whole rest of the year, I could have a better year than I otherwise would have. And each year in January, I start thinking about that in December. But when I get into January, I'm very mindful that one of the seeds that I can put in the ground, one of the things that I can do in January is to have a, an extra emphasis on prayer and fasting. And so that's what I want to talk to you today about, prayer and fasting. Now, what do I mean by fasting? I think most of us know that in in a biblical sense, fasting is when we give something up, something that we enjoy, we give that up, we make a sacrifice, so that we can spend the time that we would have spent engaged in that activity Seeking God in an intensified way. That's really what fasting is. Fasting is kind of like prayer on steroids, it's just intensified praying. It's seeking God in a more deliberate and a more intense way. Certainly in Bible times, when we read about fasting, it's always in the context of food. People are giving up food. And we read about different people in Bible times going through a food fast. Sometimes, it was a complete fast. They had no food for maybe seven, maybe one day or three days or seven days or ten days or 21 days or 40 days. Sometimes we read that people gave up certain types of food, like Daniel. He went on a ten-day on a fast, and during those ten days, he only ate fruits and vegetables. He didn't eat steak or meat or anything like that. He just, he just ate the, the vegetables, and the Bible says at the end of those days... had spent that time seeking the Lord, he was actually stronger and looked healthier than those who had eaten all uh, all the delicacies there in the land where he was living. Now, for the last few years here at First Baptist, In January, we have had a prayer emphasis and a fasting emphasis, but it's not had to do with food primarily because we have diabetics in the church, others in the church, you're on medication, you have to have food with the medication. And so if we say, hey, let's all go on a food fast for a week, some of you would fall out and die and we'd be having your service here before the week was over with. So we've not done a food fast, but what we have done is a media fast, thinking that everybody can turn the television off, for a few days. Now, what I want to say at the beginning of this message is, and and my dad's already mentioned it, is that when you go out today, you can pick up, and I hope you will, even if you've done this before, pick up a new copy of the Prayer and Fasting booklet. This booklet has a three-day prayer guide at the end of it. It is designed for you to have three days consecutively where you don't watch television, you're not on Facebook, you're not on Twitter, you're you're giving social media a break, certainly you're still communicating with your family, you're doing your work on your computer, but for three days, no news, no Fox News, no CNN, no national news, no ESPN, no sports, and none of these other things, so that you can spend that time seeking the Lord. Now, some of you have never done something like this, and even if you have, I realize that the thought of that can be overwhelming. You think, man, three days, no media, no none of that? I think I would go completely crazy if I didn't do that for three days. Well, you know what? You might want to think about dialing that back and do a one-day media fast and just say, I can't handle three days, but I think I can handle one day. I received a text message between services today from a lady. She and her husband live in Florida. They watched the first service, and she said, John, I don't think I could do a three-day no TV. She said, I think I would go nuts. She said, but what my husband and I have decided is we're going to not watch TV today. She said, one day, no television. And she said, I'm fasting from something else. She said, I am a, I think she said, I'm an Olympic-style worrier. She said, I worry about everything. And so she said, I've decided for one day, no TV and no worrying. So she kind of modified the fast. And you might have to do that as well. You might have to say, you know what? I'm not going to do the three days. I'm going to do one day. You might decide this. You might decide, I don't even think I can take a day, but I'm going to take two hours a night for maybe one day or maybe three days, and I'm going to block out two hours. Maybe, I know, just for me, I live alone, as you know. And so if you live alone, you don't have people in your house, you know, sometimes, like if you're eating the meal, TV is nice company. You turn it on, you see what's happening, and like, if I'm home in the evening, I like to eat my dinner sometime between 6.30 and 8. And if it's a really good meal, I like to just eat for the whole time, just right there the whole time. And, so that's it. and if I'm doing a media fast and where I say, okay, no TV for three days, I have to be honest with you, that is the hardest time of the day for me. In the morning, it doesn't bother me afternoon, I don't care. In the late night, it doesn't bother me. But 6.30 to 8, while I'm eating, Wheel of Fortune, Andy Griffith, that's my life right there during dinner. And I have to give that up. So I I even, I think, God, it's just too quiet in this house tonight. But I know if I can make it till 8 o'clock, then the rest of the night, I'm I'm home free. It's not that hard for me. So what I'm saying is, you have to look at what you can do. And maybe you don't even want to give up me. Maybe you don't even watch TV. Maybe that's not even a deal for you. Maybe you want to say, you know what, I'm going to For for one day, I'm not going to eat lunch. Or for three days, I'm not going to eat lunch. And I'm going to spend that time that I would have spent eating lunch, reading my Bible, and praying. And so when we fast, we just seek God in an intensive way. And so I'm asking you today, give me a hearing. Hear me out on this. And as we go through the sermon, be thinking and praying and saying, God, what would you have me to do? As we come to the end of January, the first of February, so that for the rest of the year, my life can be better than it otherwise would have been. Now, I want to make a statement about fasting, and then we're going to get into the Bible. But I want you to we will go ahead and open your Bible. Let's go ahead and do that. Second Chronicles chapter 20, that's where we're going to be. We're going to see an example today of a king of, Ju- of Judah living in Jerusalem. His name was Jehoshaphat. For the last couple of weeks, we've been studying about his father, King Asa. By the time we come to 2 Chronicles 20, Asa has died, and now his son, Jehoshaphat, is the king of Judah, headquartered in Jerusalem. That's where he lives. Jehoshaphat was a godly man, and we're going to read in this passage that on one occasion, three different armies converged on Jerusalem, one from Moab, one from Moab, one from Ammon, that is Ammon, Jordan, and one from a place called Mount Sire. And so they're coming against King Jehoshaphat from all these different angles, and naturally it concerned him, and naturally he became afraid. But as we're going to see, one thing he did was he called for a fast. He got all the people together. He said, we need to pray. We need to seek God. We need to fast and we need to ask God to help us. And that's what happened, and God did indeed help them. Now, before we get into this story, I want to say something about fasting, because you might be thinking, okay, if I do a media fast, or if I do a a food fast, or maybe something else that I've not even thought of, you say, you know, John, if I'll stop this for a few days, then that might be what I could do. Well, whatever fasting you do, whatever it is you give up, here's what's going to happen. When you fast, you're going to experience something. We're going to put this on the screen. You might want to jot this down for sure. Process these thoughts. Fasting clarifies our thinking, and it puts us in position to enjoy God's presence, to hear God's voice, And to experience God's power in our lives. I want you to just keep that up there and look at that for just a second. Fasting, it clarifies our thinking. One of the problems we have living in the day in which we live is that our minds are bombarded with information. I mean, a hundred years ago, our great-great-great-grandparents, they didn't have the information overload that we have. If you go home in the evening, turn on Fox News or CNN, whichever news you like to watch, you'll notice at the bottom of the screen, it's always breaking news. Something just happened, and you have to know about it. Well for one thing, that many important things can't happen every day. And yet the news makes you think, here's something super important that just happened in China, and you've got to know it. And here's how the president's responding, and here's how the Republicans are responding. You're like, all this is in our mind. And, And it's just almost like our minds are so full that we can't even think clearly. When you fast, when you turn the TV off, Instead of reading the, watching the TV, you say, you know what? I'm going to read a little bit in the Bible. I'm going to read a psalm. I'm going to read a chapter out of the Gospel of John. I'm going to read a proverb. I'm going to read something. Here's one of the things going to happen. It's going to clarify your thinking. Your mind's going to clear out. You're going to be able to see situations more clearly than you would if you've got all this other information in your mind. And so, the the whole purpose of this media fast is to say, I want to get that stuff out of my mind. Not that it's bad, not that it's sinful, it's just overwhelming. So, I want to get that out. But also, when we fast, not only does it clarify our mind, it puts us in position to enjoy God's presence and to hear God's voice and to experience His power. Some of you today... You need God to do something in your life. Some of you home listening today, you need God to heal your body. You have a sickness, you have a disease, and you need God to touch and to heal your body. You say, John, are you telling me that if I will fast for a certain amount of time, that God's going to heal me of this cancer? I can't know. I can't guarantee you that, but I'll tell you this when you fast, you're putting yourself in position to experience the power of God. Some of you listening at home today and some of you may be in this room, you're having a family situation. And you, you need God to do something in this situation. I'm not necessarily saying it's desperate or maybe it is desperate, but you need divine intervention. Did you know when you fast, what are you doing? You're putting yourself in position to experience the supernatural, miraculous power of God in that situation. So no, I can't guarantee the outcome I can't guarantee if you have cancer and you pray and fast that you're going to be healed or that you've got a family problem that you pray and fast everything's going to work out just perfectly. I can't guarantee you that, but I can guarantee you this. It will if you will pray and fast, whatever the outcome is, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. I can't listen, we don't put our faith in the outcome, we put our faith in God and God's not always promised to heal every disease and, and fix every problem, but he has promised to be with us and to meet our needs and to take care of us. And so, what I'm, I'm so excited about this whole idea of, of having an emphasis where we call on God in a special way. Now, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, let's just look beginning in verse number one and kind of get a feel for the situation that was going on in Jerusalem. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the, besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hezazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. Now look at verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared He was afraid. Naturally, he was. If you and I would have been him, if we're the king of Judah, here we are in Jerusalem, and here come these other armies invading against us, we naturally would have been afraid. And yet, he didn't let that fear paralyze him. Notice what it says. And he set himself to seek the Lord. Literally, he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and all the cities of Judah, they came together to seek the Lord. And so now Jehoshaphat, looking at the situation, he's a wise king. And what he he says to his people, we need to pray. We're one nation. We're one army. We're being invaded by three different nations, multiple different armies, and we need to seek God. You know what? If Jehoshaphat were living today, I was thinking about this. If Jehoshaphat were the pastor of this church, or if he were preaching in this church today, or if Jehoshaphat were the president of the United States. I mean, think about what is happening in the world. There is a plague, and it's been going on for 11 months. This pandemic has killed approximately 440,000 American people. Even in our church, we have had people die of COVID. Yesterday, a funeral of one of our faithful church members, she had died of COVID. Others in our church family have lost family and friends. Family, we've all lost friends, but some have lost family who have died of COVID. There is a plague, there is a pandemic, there is a sickness on this land. Let me ask you a question. If Jehoshaphat were living today, and if he were the president, or if he were the leader, if he were the governor, what would he do? I guarantee what he would do. He would say, hey, folks, look, it's bad. What we need to do, we need to have a time of prayer and fasting. And even if you watch the news at all yesterday, you see like in California, they're having having snow. They're having floods. Highway 1 at one point completely just fell off the cliff yesterday. Fires in New Jersey. I mean, things are just happening in this world. The world, not just America, but the entire world is coming unraveled at the seams. And we're trying to figure out who's going to win the Super Bowl next week. Well, Tampa Bay is going to win the Super Bowl next week, I'm going to tell you. Tom Brady is going to get number seven next Sunday night. I guarantee you that. If he does it, Patrick Mahomes is going to win number two. So something good is going to happen next Sunday night. But folks, listen, with what's going on in the world today, let me just say this. I'm a big sports fan. live. it doesn't matter who wins the Super Bowl. What we need in this country And what we need in this pandemic is that we would stop what we're doing and call on God and saying, Father, we're doing everything we can. We're wearing masks. They've got a vaccine coming out. But, God, we need a fresh touch from heaven. Stop this plague. Heal this land, God, and bring us through to the other side of what we're going through. That's what we need. And Jehoshaphat, if he were with us today, he would call for a fast. Now, I'm not Jehoshaphat. I'm John. And this is not Jerusalem, this is Pasadena. But I'm saying, what what I'm calling for today is a a time of prayer and fasting. And whether it's three days, one day, one meal, one night, one hour, 30 minutes, however you do it, that's between you and God. But I'm saying we need to call a time out on life and we need to seek the face of God in a fresh and a new way. Now, when we do that, again, what I'm saying, I'm gonna clarify our thinking first of all. Look, look in verse number 12 as we think about Jehoshaphat's thinking and as we think about how he had an awareness of God's presence. Look in verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. See, that's how we are right now. Some of you, it's not the pandemic. I mean, for all of us, it's the pandemic. God, we don't know what to do. But for others here today, you're saying, John, it's even worse. It's cancer it's a marriage problem. It's a problem with my kids. It's a financial problem. I lost my job. I don't have any income. For others here, they say it's not that. John, I'm emotionally worn out. I'm depressed. I'm, I'm, I'm suicidal. I'm giving up on life. I don't know what to do. But notice what Jehoshaphat said, but our eyes are upon you. You see, as he began to fast, see in verse, verses three, in, in verse 3, he proclaimed to fast by the time we get to verse 12, he said, God, our eyes are upon you. His thinking is already getting clearer. And he has now an awareness of God's presence in his life beyond, he has, beyond what he had before the prayer and before the fasting emphasis. I was home the other night and I wasn't necessarily fasting. I don't even know that I was praying. I had read my Bible and I was kind of, I just met a TV was off. I was just kind of thinking about what I'd read in the Bible. I don't even remember now what it was, but I was thinking about it at that time. And as I was thinking about that, I started thinking, I I just had an awareness of the presence of God with me in my life in a very meaningful and special way. And it's hard to describe it now and make you feel what I felt the other night. But in my heart and in my mind, not, not visually, but nonetheless in my mind and in my heart, it's like I could just sense that God the Father was standing right next to me on my left side. And then I could sense that on my right side was Jesus Christ. And then I just had an, an, I mean, I already know all this, but it's like I had a fresh awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. And you know, if you live alone and, and I seldom ever get what I would call lonely. But, but you can get lonely if you live with people. But sometimes if you live alone, you might be more prone to that. And, and, and I think the other night I just had a, just a wave of loneliness come over me. And as I was processing that and thinking about that, it's just like God gave me. A fresh revelation of his own presence. And it's just like God said to me, John, you're not alone. You you may be the only human being in this house, but you are not alone. I, as your Father, am standing right by your side. And Jesus Christ, as your Savior and as your elder brother, is standing on your other side. Jesus is always at the right hand of God the Father. And the Holy Spirit, who has indwelt you, is there. And he will never leave you. And it was so real to me that night. It's hard for me to put it into words. But as I was thinking about the Father to my left, Jesus to my right, the Spirit on the inside of me, I thought, God, there's a sense in which I'm in this house alone, but there's a much deeper and more accurate sense in which I am a family of four. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit living with me. And I thought about that, and I was turning that over in my mind, and I went to bed. It was just like I I couldn't see God. But his presence was so real to me, I don't think if I could have seen him that it would have been any more real. And I got in bed that night and I just thought, God, I just can't thank you enough for this this, this, revel- this, this just a- awareness of your presence that you have given to me. And I got in bed and I was pulling the covers up and it's like God said to me, John, there's even more of us than that. It's more than me as your father and Jesus as your brother and the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Remember this, I have sent my angels to keep charge over you to watch you in all your ways. Not only do you have me on the left, Jesus on the right, and the Holy Spirit on the inside, you are surrounded by angels. I'm telling you, I felt like I was in heaven in my house the other night because I just had that awareness of the presence of God. And what I'm saying to you today is that's what happens when you turn the TV off and when you read your Bible. Billy Graham, one of the greatest quotes. I want you to see this. Billy Graham, now you talk about a man that he had a wife, and he had five kids, and a bunch of grandkids, and a huge family, and he knew everybody. He was friends with presidents and kings, and yet Billy Graham spent much of his time alone because he traveled. He's in hotel rooms, separated from his family, and so if you've ever heard him preach or did when he lived and read any of his books, you know that Billy Graham struggled with loneliness, Which says to me that loneliness is something you can struggle with whether you live alone like I do or whether you have a huge family like he did. Anybody can struggle with loneliness. Billy Graham said this. He said, I am never lonely when I'm reading the Bible. There's something about reading the Bible. And then he said, nothing dissolves loneliness like a session with God's Word. And I came across that quote months and months ago, and I've even written it in a couple of my Bibles at home. I love that. I'm never lonely when I'm reading the Bible. And you know, I've noticed in my life, at night, sometimes if I feel, have a little lonely feeling, if I'll take my Bible and whatever I'm reading, just a few verses even, or a chapter, after I've been reading the Bible for five minutes, it's like that loneliness is completely gone. And so, if you think about it, what is the cure for loneliness? Well, If you ask that to people in the world today, they would say, well, the cure for loneliness is another person, right? I mean, if you're lonely, you have another person, then you won't be lonely. And that's true, but I would put this on there. That's true as long as the other person is God, because another human being can't solve your need for for God I mean when God made us we have this hole in our heart that can't be that that hole can't be filled by a spouse as wonderful of a blessing as that is can't be filled by a parent or a sibling or a friend no only God can fill that let me give you another quote from Augustine maybe you don't know the name Augustine he was a theologian philosopher wonderful Christian he's known as God's great thinker he lived in the fourth century And uh, he he lived in in North Africa, a place called Hippo in, in North Africa. And Augustine said this one day in one of his prayers to God. He said, God, now watch this quote. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. You see, only God, maybe today you're listening at home, maybe today you're in this room, and you say, you know what, John, I just, I'm just lonely, and my spouse is not meeting this need. And maybe you're even thinking, I'm going to look outside of this relationship to try to get this need met. Don't do that. That's a horrible mistake. Not only would that be the wrong thing to do, it's not going to meet the need. The only person who can meet that deep need is Jesus Christ himself. And when we turn the TV off, not forever, but for an hour or two hours or a day or three days or whatever, and you just turn it off and you say, God, I want to connect with you. I want to reconnect with you. One of the things that God's going to give you is an awareness of his presence, and it's going to knock that loneliness right out. I'll tell you something else is going to happen. When you turn the TV off and you take your Bible and you open it up and you begin to read a few verses, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be able to hear God's voice more clearly. Now, if I were to ask you today, since we were here together last Sunday, what has God said to you? Last Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday and Friday and yesterday, what did God say to you? You say, well, now wait a second, John, I don't know if God said anything to me. That's why I came to church, for you to preach me a sermon, so God say something to me. Well, we, when, when somebody preaches a sermon with a Bible, God's always going to say something, but listen, friend... You wouldn't want to limit what you hear from God to to these 30 minutes on Sunday. We should be hearing from God every day. And, And I would be the first to say, some days I hear from God and some days I don't. Some days I'm more in touch with heaven and some days I'm more in touch with earth. And on the days I'm more in touch with earth, I don't hear as much from God. But on the days I'm in touch with God, and maybe the TV's off a little bit extra, I'm able to, you know. There I think, there were three times last week. This was unusual. This does not not normally happen, but there were three times last week that God just whispered something in my heart. I hate to say in my ear because I don't think I heard it with my ear, but in my heart. One time I was driving down Fairmont Parkway. One and the other two times I was home. But God just—it's like God just spoke to me. And God gave me a word. Well, one of the things that happens when we seek God is that he will speak to us. And we should be hearing. I mean, we, we should be hearing the voice of God. Look in verse number 13. Because Jehoshaphat heard from God. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives, and their children stood before the Lord. They've come to Jerusalem. They're saying, God, we're in trouble. We're afraid. We're scared. Help us, God. So God's got their attention now. Four, verse 14, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of, and then it tells of all of his ancestors and so on. And then it says, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. And so God is looking at these people fasting. They're seeking the Lord. They've turned the TV off, as it were, in their day. As much, you know, is different then, but they've turned the distractions off, and so God sends one of His representatives, and He says, "I've got a word for you from God, and here it is: Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's." Now I want to be a pure Bible preacher here, just for a moment. Well, I hope I'm a Bible preacher every moment, but in this moment I want to just even more so. Some of you listening today have gotten a bad report from the doctor or a situation has happened in your life or in your family and you're afraid. Others of you here today, you're in that boat and you're saying like, Jehoshaphat, God, we don't know what to do. I want you to hear the word of the Lord. This was the word of the Lord that God had for Jehoshaphat thousands of years ago, but God doesn't change. God's word is still living. This may be just what you need to hear today. This is the word from God for you today. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. Listen, I don't know what it is that has come against you in your life or in your family or in your health or in your finances, but I know this, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that multitude may be bigger and stronger than you, but that multitude is no match for God. And the word of the Lord to you today is do not be afraid. Those listening at home today, waiting on a meeting with a doctor to hear a report from a CAT scan, and an MRI, to hear what's going on, this is the word from God to you today do not be afraid nor be dismayed because of this great multitude. Watch this part. For the battle is not yours, but God's. It's not your fight, it's not your battle. It's not your concern. It is the Lord's battle. And if you will hear that word from God and trust God and get quiet before the Lord, he'll speak to you not only that, but he'll speak to you other things as well. So what am I saying? When you take time to fast and pray, you're putting yourself in a position to do what? To hear God speak from his word, maybe from another person, maybe just directly to you, his spirit, to your spirit. There's not anything better than that. Nothing energizes me. Nothing gives me more confidence, especially in times in my life when I've been up against it and when I've been going through something and I've wondered, God, I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do? How's this gonna work out? And God in the quietness and God in the stillness gives me a word and speaks to my heart. I say, God, I've heard from heaven and now I can proceed in confidence because I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are with me in this. Listen, God is in the silence. And yet most of us don't like the silence. We like the chatter and we like the noise. Psalm 4610, tremendous verse. God said, be still and know that I am God. In Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 20, listen to this verse. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth, Be silent before him. Now, I know this is not a temple. This is a sanctuary, but same thing. It just means it's the house of God. If you believe that God today is in this house, would you just say amen? You believe he's in this house. God's in this house. You say, well, I don't see him. We don't walk by faith. We we, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. Faith, not sight. We don't see God, but he's promised to be with us. God is in his holy house. Let all the earth be silent before him. And yet, what do I know? I've been doing this long enough to know if I stand up here and let it be silent for too long, people get a little fidgety. People get a little nervous. But God's in the silence. And when we get quiet and turn that television off and say, I'm going to let Washington fight their own battle, I'm going to let what happens up there be, you know, I'm going to pray for them, but I can't fix it. I'm going to let the, the politicians hammer that out. I'm going to pray for God, but I'm can't. I'm not i not going to worry myself sick about the whole deal. I'm going to just trust I'm going to get quiet. You're going to hear from God. I'll tell you one other thing quickly. When you turn that TV off and when you begin to open your Bible and read and listen and think and meditate, you are putting yourself in a position to experience the power of God in your life. Now look down to verse 22 because this is exactly what happened. They had prayed, they had fasted, they had sought the Lord, their eyes are on God, God is speaking to them, and now they're beginning to praise God, worship God. Before anything happened, they're praising God. Before the battle was won, they're praising God. Verse 22, now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sire, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. So here's Jehoshaphat in Jerusalem, King of Judah, invading armies coming against him. They were no match for these multiple armies. He prayed. He fasted. The people prayed, and they fasted. And what happened? God defeated all these armies, and the Jewish people did not have to lift a finger. They didn't have to get involved in the battle. The battle never was theirs. The battle was God. They had a problem. They looked up. God intervened, and the problem was resolved. I'm saying to you today if you will turn that tv off even if it's just for 2 hours maybe for 3 days whatever maybe for 1 day and pray and seek the lord you're putting yourself in an in a position to experience god's power in your life you know if i were meeting with a seminary professor if i could turn back the clock and go back to seminary and if i were in a preaching class and that preaching professor said to me now john here's your sermon you've written it out you've studied you've prayed you're ready What is it you hope to accomplish when you go out there on Sunday to preach this sermon? I would say to that professor, I would say, well, professor, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to stand before an audience for 30 to 35 minutes on Sunday, and I am trying as best I can, and for those watching at home, to persuade them to turn the TV off. And to spend the time they would have spent watching that television, seeking God in Bible reading and prayer. And he would say, that's a good good objective. Now, here's what he would say. How are you, what is the motive behind that? I would say, professor, my motive is how I'm trying to persuade that audience. I'm saying, if they'll turn that TV off, if they'll open their Bible up, if they'll read something and spend some time in prayer, they're going to put themselves in a position to not only clear out their thinking, But to enjoy God's presence and to have an awareness of God's presence, to hear God's voice, and to experience the supernatural, miraculous, healing, restoring power of God in every area of their life, that professor would say to me, you've got a good sermon, you've got a good objective, you've got good motives, go out there and preach that sermon. And that's what I'm trying to do today. I'm trying to persuade you, however you do it. That's why I'm saying it doesn't have to be three days. One day, two hours, one hour, 30 minutes, do something to seek the Lord. I want to read this before we leave. This is in the booklet, but I just want to read a couple of three pages to you before we stop this sermon. When we fast, we enter into a deeper awareness of the presence of God. When we fast, our hearts become more sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. When we fast, we're able to hear the voice of God with greater clarity. When we fast, we place ourselves in a position to experience miracles. When we fast, our bodies actually become healthier. We see things happen in our lives that would not otherwise happen. And when we fast, doors that were previously closed begin to open supernaturally. The Bible is filled with examples of people who fasted. Let's just listen to this. Moses fasted. Elijah fasted. David fasted. Daniel fasted. Esther fasted. Jeremiah fasted. Jesus fasted. Paul fasted. On certain occasions, entire nations fasted. And every time anybody fasted, God honored it. God has promised those who honor me, I will honor There's something about fasting that honors God. As a result, there's something about fasting that God always honors. Throughout the Bible, we find people fasting for different reasons. Now, just follow me along here, and I'm about done. Just think about the reasons people fast. Moses fasted for 40 days so he could hear from God more clearly. As a result of Moses' time of fasting, God gave him the Ten Commandments. Did you know the Ten Commandments came... After a 40-day fast, he heard the voice of God. Daniel fasted from certain foods for 10 days so he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies. At the end of those days, he appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Esther fasted for three days when she learned of an evil plot to destroy the Jews. As a result, God preserved the Jews and destroyed their enemies. Nehemiah fasted when he was given the seemingly impossible assignment of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. God honored that fast by enabling Nehemiah and his men to rebuild the walls in only 52 days. It should have taken years. Jesus fasted for 40 days before he began his public ministry. After that fast, he was able to resist the temptations of the devil. The early church fasted and prayed, seeking the will of God. In response to their time of fasting, God called Barnabas and Paul to become missionaries, thus expediting the spread of the gospel. The people of Nineveh fasted as an expression of sorrow over their sin. As a result of their fasting, God sent a revival to their city. It is clear that God has always honored fasting. Now listen to this. This is the last paragraph I'm going to read you. And and before I even read this, some of you, when I'm fixing to read a series of questions here, you're going to say, yes, yes. The answer to that question is yes. Listen to the questions. Do you need a clear word from God? Are you facing an impossible situation? Is something or someone threatening to destroy your future? Do you need to know God's will about something? Are you beginning a new season of your life? Do you long for God to send a revival to your life, your family, our church, and our nation? If you answered yes to any of those questions, I have another question for you. Have you ever considered fasting? And if you haven't, would you be willing to consider it now? What is the old saying? desperate times call for desperate measures friend our country and our world we are in desperate times right now not to mention what is going on in individual families and individual lives desperate times call for for desperate measures and i encourage you if you answer yes to any of those questions whether it's one day two days three days one hour or 30 minutes sometime this week spend those moments praying fasting Listening and seeking the Lord. And see if he doesn't begin to do something fantastic in your life and in your situation. Amen.